This is episode 55 of the Rising Man podcast with Adam Rubin. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but the truth will always serve me. What up and happy Thursday to you, Rising Man family. It's your boy, Jetty Azuma here, the host and creator of the Rising Man podcast. And here we are, rising yet again with another amazing interview for all of y'all. This is a special one. But before we get into that, I want to announce yet again, I am coming off of an amazing experience with my 12 brothers from the Conscious Man Brotherhood. You may ask yourself, what is the Conscious Man Brotherhood? We are a collection of men who are committed to creating spaces where men are supported, seen, and heard so that the only thing that our sons and our grandsons know is brotherhood. CMB, Conscious Man Brotherhood, is the umbrella organization through which Man Cave, the PAC meetups, everything that we're beginning to put out into the world is going to fall under. It's an amazing collective of heart-centered men that is just getting rolling. So for those of you who haven't heard of CMB or for those of you who want to know more about what we do and how to connect with the community of brothers who are stepping up in this world, head over to facebook.com slash groups slash the PAC Brotherhood. This is where we're continuing all these conversations about manhood, masculinity, giving and receiving support from other men from all across the world. Get over there right now because it's it's a truly powerful community and movement that is being started. I just spent three incredible days with 12 of the founding fathers of CMB and we went deep. We went deep into the work, realizing that the work starts with our inner circle. And the stronger that we are together as brothers, the stronger that the brotherhood, the community becomes and ripples out from the center. And so lots of amazing things coming. You guys will be hearing me speak a lot more about the Conscious Man Brotherhood and everything that we're doing. So stay tuned for that. But get over to the Facebook group right now. Get yourself signed up with the pack. Introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and where you're coming in from. Also, let me mention that Patreon for the Rising Man podcast is up and running at www.patreon.com slash rising man. I'm so grateful to the supporters who have already stepped up, who have already stepped in to help us out, including Tom McGee, Glenn Ashmead, Marcelino Saiz, Thor Dierensborg, and Jack Sullivan and Philip Kelleher, the first six patrons to help us get the rising man podcast up and running it feels so good to have the community help raise up and hold the weight of the rising man podcast right now so thank you guys and and for those of you who aren't familiar with the patreon if you want to be a part of our rising men fire circles every month this community this mastermind where men are coming together sharing about different topics relative to manhood and masculinity a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast, getting support, being held accountable, being called forward into our greatness, then you can be a part of those fire circles by contributing at the Patreon website, patreon.com slash rising man. The $33 tier gets you access to our monthly fire circles, our private Facebook community, and constant connection and contact with men and myself, calling you forward into your greatness and supporting you being the best man you can be. So if you're interested in that, head over there right now, get signed up. Okay, let me introduce my guest for today's podcast. My man, Adam Rubin. Though he isn't fond of definitions, Adam describes himself as a guide, a light worker, a shaman, an alchemist, and an activator. He helps people find clarity in their purpose and balance in their lives. His mission is to help others awaken their light, activate their medicine, and align with their purpose. So for those of you guys who don't know Adam, he tells an incredible story in this interview about a viral post that he created that went absolutely bananas on Facebook and received all kinds of responses. Uh, I won't give too much away, but it was a post addressed to the women of the world and received all kinds of responses. So we talked a bit about the post, his experience with the support and the backlash that came from that post and how it nearly crushed him. We talked about healing the history between men and women, especially the masculine and the feminine dynamic, how to rise above resistance and, uh, a lot of really negative energy, really, truly, how to rise above those things, and also finding healing in space and the support of close friends. And a lot more. My brother Adam is just a beast. You guys got to check it out. Without further ado, Adam Rubin.
All right, my soul brother coming in hot to the Rising mm-hmm. Man podcast, Adam Rubin, live from the Gold Coast down under. Yeah, man. <laughs> good, good to see you, brother. How are you doing today? Yeah, brother. Super good. Super stoked to jump on with you. Really honored and uh, excited to jam out. Yes, sir, man. And, and it, it doesn't take a detective to notice that you don't have an Australian accent. So where are you actually from <laughs> originally? <laughs> you don't even want to hear my, my impersonation of an Australian accent. I'm, no. <laughs> actually, I was actually born and raised in Chicago. It's a good question. I bet most people don't know that. I was born and raised in Chicago, but I, I grew up in, in mystical Sedona, Arizona and spent a lot of time in ah. the desert of Arizona. Uh, in between all my right travels. On. Yeah, man. Right on. Well, I'll trade you one dirty secret for another. I grew up in uh, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. A lot of people don't know that about me either. <laughs> there, there you go. Here we go. We're already diving deep. Put, peeling back the Oh, lid. man. Yeah, yeah. No no masks on this, on this interview. <laughs> all right, brother. Well, I've enjoyed connecting with you in the flesh and obviously online. We've gotten to know each other a bit. I really respect the work that you're doing, helping people all over the world out there start to wake up and identify their purpose and their mission. And, you know, right before we started hitting record on this, I told you that I've got a lot of guys coming on here talking about the stuff that you're into. We got to find a new angle. We got to find something that's going to really resonate with with the guys that they haven't heard before. It's something we get to have a dialogue around because um, this idea about expressing truth, finding what is our true and authentic voice is a big deal, regardless of whether you're out there in the world on social media, if you have an online business, or if you're just any other human out there who's walking around in the world and has and in relationships. So that really qualifies everybody here to be in the part of this conversation. So Before we dig into that and you share your story, uh, let me ask you a few questions I ask everybody when we jump on here. And the first is, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Yeah, it's a lot of it for me has to do with the evolution of how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's present for me right now. Whenever I'm asked a question, I like to allow the first thing to arise and then to negate it because sometimes it's an autopilot response. So I'm going to give you the second answer, which to me is it's the evolution of how we see ourselves. I think that, you know, in a a really literal sense, it's probably has a lot to do with our relationship with the world, our relationship with our, what we call our parents, our family unit, our our partners, our beloveds, our brothers and sisters. But it's probably the maturation of how we're showing up for ourselves and how we're showing up for our families and how responsible, I would say, we're willing to be to take care of everything that's around us, within us and underneath us and above us. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've felt my own evolution actually come from above down into the body. I would say like connection with the divine, connection with spirit, connection with source mm-hmm. has evolved me into a man from a spiritual sense. In this moment, it feels a lot like communion with Mm-hmm. With the father, right? It's almost like we evolve into the role of the father, whether we have children or not. Mm-hmm. And that evolution is evidence that we've shifted from a boy into a man, that we don't really need to be taken care of. It's now our time to take care of. Mm-hmm. And and I think what the challenge in that, at least part of the journey that I'm in and around is how do we also allow ourselves as men to be taken care of and continue allowing in and receiving while also standing in the space of providing and respecting and serving and holding space for. And so, yeah, brother, a few different elements play at play there, but that's, that would be, that would be the second, third, fourth, and fifth answer to the question. <laughs> nice, man. Uh, let me ask you this, um, based off that last piece you said there, where do you think men ought to go to get taken care of? Mm. The first thing that comes up is is just creating sacred space for ourselves. I I think that, and I've been I've been actually asking myself this question a lot lately. So I'm 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 pretty like honored that you're in tune with with the same kind of inquiry. I would say because there's been this dialogue, or maybe it's been a narrative, or maybe even it's a story of what does it look like to hold space in the world mm-hmm. as a human being, man or woman, masculine or feminine, no difference. What does it look like to hold space? And we, right away, we think about being in service and holding space for people to move through their process. We might also think about holding space for our partner to evolve and to meet us 
maybe it's even our partner holding space for us. Maybe it's even goes back to our parents holding space or lack thereof, whatever the story might be. And what I think might be missed in the process is, are we holding the same space for ourselves that we're so committed to holding for other people in our lives? Mm. And that to me is the answer to the question, because as where should men go to be taken care of as human beings, we're the, we're the only ones who can take care of ourselves right? It's that what's going to be reflected back to us externally in our relationships is only a reflection of what's happening inside of us, as you know. And it's like, to me, the biggest transformation in evolution has been the deeper I go in a space with the divine or the deeper I go into myself and strengthening that connection to sort of my essence or my natural state of being, the closer I get to getting taken care of. And when I say taken care of, I really mean provided for. And I really mean like, I feel what abundance actually is. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean things show up in a literal sense. It just means I feel nurtured and nourished and safe and secure. And so when people are looking to be taken care of, even as children, I think really what we're, what we're saying, even if it's not spoken is there's an innate desire to feel safe. When I'm safe, I'm fully expressed. When I'm safe, I allow my love to be transferred back and forth and exchanged. When I'm safe, I share myself with the world. When I'm safe, I allow people to share me. And that safety, and for a lot of people, I feel like the core wounds come from just feeling unsafe. Mm-hmm. And so it's, what does it look like maybe as a man to create that feeling of safety for ourselves so then we can be taken care of or feel taken care of? Well, and I think that's actually a great indication for any place where you can go to get taken care of. Because when, if you ask me the same question, where, where, where should a man go to get taken care of? I would say, well, he should find a men's circle, a men's circle that is grounded in values of integrity and confidentiality and truth and, and non-judgment. Mm. And it, all that describes is a safe place. Yeah. And so I think that and for any of us, even if we go outside of just this dialogue of man or woman, child, et cetera, a safe place is where we go to get taken care of, <laughs> kind of in the in the simplest way of looking at it. And mm-hmm. uh, I like this idea that you bring up of creating a safe place for ourselves, because oftentimes you and I both know this, that it's not a safe place within ourselves. In fact, I know that in my head, I'm probably my own worst enemy. I'm probably my biggest self-assessor, judger of myself that, that anyone, you know, the things I say to myself in my head, I wouldn't say to anybody else in the world, mm. <laughs> you know? Totally. So yeah, creating a safe place within ourselves is a, is a journey into itself. Yeah, man. It's and if it's not modeled to us and and for us, and I think that's like you're saying, the potency of the circle is the return back into like the birthright. It's the return. There's a reason why tribes and elders and men specifically, but human beings gather in circle and in ceremony around the fire because there is safety. Mm-hmm in the exchange of one another's medicine. And the gift is actually just in the giving and the receiving of it. And what is built and created when you receive and then you give and allow somebody to like fully see and receive you. And so mm-hmm. it's complicated for us now because there are so many ways to be received and given and seen and explored and discovered and witnessed because of the world we live in. And so as it has become more complicated, perhaps it's started to feel less and less safe because it's complex. Yes, bro. And that's a, that's a perfect segue into your story because yeah. I, I won't give any preamble. You know the story. We, we talked about it before we started recording. You had a really compelling post that caught my attention as I was preparing for this interview, sharing about an experience you had. Was it about a year ago? Yeah. Yeah, about a year ago. Okay. Okay. So just give us the context. Give us the details of what happened and then I'll start to uh, dissect it with you. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was actually October 2017. Uh, so a little bit longer ago than that. And this specific interesting part of the timing, it was right when the first Me Too movement came out. Mm. So what had happened, and there's a lot of context to this story that actually people don't know. So I'll share it here. Mm-hmm. I wrote this post. It's actually the post itself that I wrote was a result of a coaching call that I had with a client. In this coaching call, we were doing like a healing session specifically around the masculine and the feminine. And what came out of that, and this was a female client, what came out of that conversation was really both of us feeling and witnessing the effects and the wounds for the masculine you know, that have taken place over time and how that has then led to the abuse of the feminine. And so out of this conversation, which was very powerful, I did this piece of writing. This is like months ago. This might've been like two years ago, the actual call and the channeling of the writing. 
And I hold on to this piece of writing. I, I keep it on my laptop for a long time mm-hmm. because Spirit had very like intentional ways with the way this thing was to be communicated. I actually forgot that it was in, in my laptop. And due to the nature of what arose in October 2017 around that time with the Me Too movement, of course, it immediately brought me into the essence of that post because it was reminding me, and this post at that time was called Letter to the Divine Feminine from the Wounded Masculine. So it was like an open letter to the feminine. And so this was a lot of the conversation and the dialogue, which was, beha- which was really taking place amongst people and in different ways. And so without thinking much of it, I share this post, I write this thing, and it's, it goes viral. And after like three or four days, this thing has like, 6,000 or 7,000 shares and like 20,000 comments. And the thing has gone absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. And both fortunately and unfortunately, because there's no good or bad or right or wrong, Mm -hmm. a lot of what created the nature of this thing going viral, it started with really positive, powerful impact uh, from a lot of people, women and men saying, wow, this made me feel something I've never felt before in my life. Thank you so much for expressing this. These are the words I needed to receive. This was medicine. But what happened was this was shared into a lot of like private hate groups and and different groups with particular people. And so the nature of the comments started to become disgusting. Mm. Yeah, for lack of a better word, really dark, really dark and disgusting. What were they they coming at you for? Were Were they coming at what you were saying or were they just personal attacks? It was a little bit of both. It, be, it evolved mostly into personal attacks. The majority became personal attacks to, to really kind of dismantle who I was as a human being. Mm-hmm. It, it started with people sharing their opinion because in this post I said, I'm sorry. It was an apology. And so for a lot mm-hmm. of people who have, everybody has the right to their own opinion, they were feeling, how dare you apologize on my behalf? This really deeply triggered people. Right. Like I didn't give you authority to say I that on my you, behalf. I'm sorry. Right? And people took, well, who are you to apologize for me? I didn't do anything wrong. Are you trying to say that I'm like a rapist and, a, and in a, you know, I, I've done abuse or this or that? How dare you speak right. on my behalf, on behalf of men mm-hmm. when you are not me and I'm not you? That was, I would say, right. the nature of it. And it, of course, it was a lot more degrading than that. But that was, even before the, the, the degradation, that was a very clear sentiment that was shared by both men and some women as well. There was a lot of, uh, there were quite a few women who, who commented in that way. And so, of course, as- Did you read all the comments? Did you, did, oh, were no, you going no, through all of it? No, it's impossible. Uh, it was impossible. Yeah. <laughs> was, there was so many. And, and to be honest with you, because of the nature of what happened with the post, I couldn't, like based on my sanity and my physical like health, I was getting sick. Like I could feel the darkness entering my body. Sure. Yeah. This thing became so dark and, and so difficult to hold. It almost felt like arrows, all of the arrows were being kind of slung in my direction. And so it was to be completely transparent and honest with you that it wasn't the comments that were difficult and it wasn't really the response. It was trying the turmoil of deciding what to do with it Mm. because part of me was so adamant on this being an expression that had resonated with and by the way, I'm of course my inbox is filled with like thousands of, of messages, both from one side of the spectrum, mostly women saying, thank you so much for expressing this and other brothers saying, thank you so much. I completely like shared your opinion. You know, thank you for voicing it. I can see you're getting a lot of hatred for this. Continue to stand strong. Mm -hmm. The other side being death threats and like quite serious, like hate groups and people coming like this is and this and this is going to happen, whatever it was. Wow. And so I'm sitting here trying to decide really kind of feeling stubbornly strong in the sentiment of what was expressed, like this post has to stay up. Mm-hmm. The other side of me, and I'm seeking advice from everybody. So I'm calling people like our brother Preston. I'm asking like, you know, mentors at that time, coaches at that time. And eventually I had spoken to a mentor and, and, and friend and somebody who I felt like had been through some of that, who was Peter Kelly. I'm not sure if you know Peter Kelly, but Peter Kelly, I was mm-hmm. talking to at that time. She actually talks about this experience in her book. And mm-hmm. What I asked her was, you know, given this scenario, what would you do? And she's like, honestly, my, the content I put forward into the world is not a forum to like for other people to fuel with their own hatred. So you need to shut this post down. Like it's time. It's proved its point. You've communicated the message. I don't have any idea how you stood with this for five days amidst like this type of like darkness. It's time to put the fire out, close it down and, and not allow it 
to continue because at this point, all it's doing is serving the purpose of people continuing. At this point, there are people who are defending the post in my network being attacked by these like hate groups. So it's kind of, it, it kind of opened up an arena for people to start totally. doing battle with each other. Totally. Unintentionally, obviously, Un- but unintentionally, that's what it devolved that's into. It, that's how it devolved. That's what it devolved into. Fascinating. So at that point, I, I was in agreement with her and it was really difficult. There was a lot of, to be honest, there was a lot of, there was a lot of personal work, I'll say, that had to be done on my end to cut cords and ties and energies with that particular post and to close and shut that chapter down. Uh, All in the course be- of like a few days, right? Like this is, we're talking like days. Oh yeah, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> That's so- a lot to process in a short amount of time. <laughs> Well, yeah. And as I shared in the post, which is now public that you read, this is during the same week I've separated from my partner. We've just moved through a miscarriage the month before there were, this post also catalyzed the closure of my nonprofit, which I had co-created with my co-founder. And so you talk about a dark night of the soul. This literally was the catalyst for everything to dissolve and to die and to be reborn. Of course, with hindsight, in a beautiful way that would blossom into who I am today, but in the time, right. an incredibly tumultuous week of life, which felt like I was like on life support, truly. Wow. And it was like being on a week of, of ayahuasca. I was up in the middle of the night, physically purging some of this darkness out and trying to, you know, regenerate working with healers. Like there was a lot happening in this time. And, and, mm. That was more difficult because I, to some extent, I felt like I was in the responsibility of protecting loved ones. And there was a lot of like practical things which happened with that post too. Right, right. right? And so it brought up a lot of different things, but there was a lot I couldn't talk about during that time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of things, including the partnership, including the, the nonprofit, all of those things were private. I couldn't express them. So Mm, it made it mm-hmm. that much more difficult because everything was yes. trying to be held and, and heal within while it's actually in absolute turmoil and destruction and dissolution. So, so let's review for a second here. So, <laughs> and how old are you at this time? Cause I don't even, I'm not even sure how old you are right now. Yeah, I'm 30 now. So I would have been 28, I think. Okay. So 28 year old man holding very privately some, some big life transitions and changes in your relationship having just lost child and through miscarriage, obviously the beginnings of what you said was catalyzing the disintegration of your nonprofit. And then out of nowhere, seemingly uh, completely unexpectedly, you get thrust into this spotlight where there's, I I can just imagine the overwhelm of having things swarm over you uh, coming in and the, the, the numbers you see in your inbox and the names that are popping up with words that, you probably have never heard from anyone before. Have you ever received that type of response to anything you've done before? Never. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking, I'm, I'm sure, too. I mean, even just even just hearing the story, I never knew that part of your history is, is shocking to me. And it's a reminder that there are so many people in this world who who see things differently. And it, it, it interests me to be in this conversation of how we make space for each other's truth or how, we, how we're not doing that mm-hmm. effectively enough. Wow. And how how charged people can become around words, around beliefs. Yeah, well, um, I guess it, sh- it shouldn't be that surprising. I guess. No, and it, it it illuminated in a very literal sense. What it illuminated for me was, wow, we really live in a bubble, you and I. Yeah. Because at that time, yeah, Facebook's got us dialed into oh, an algorithm. Yeah, like first of all, in a practical sense, I was like, wow, my social media thing is a complete bubble. Because as soon as the bubble bursts, there's this whole like dark side of the internet that lives out there that I had no like actual experience with. So it wasn't part of my reality. Hmm. And that was interesting because in a practical sense, I had to privatize all my social media accounts. I, I have not unprivatized them for hmm. the exact same reason since then. And so to some extent, that was a really big wake up call in, in a good way. I thought in a really good way of, wow, we're all living in this like bubble. None of us had at that point really experienced anything like to that degree. And the other mm-hmm. side of it was, which I felt was really interesting, you know, where are we, like you're saying, where are we holding space or where are we not holding space for each other's truth? What was really apparent in that was why were people so angry because they were so deeply triggered by the words which I shared. And so mm-hmm. I, I actually deleted the post and responded a week later and said how I'm responding to hatred or whatever I wrote, how I'm responding to the, this is what happened with the post. It was like a recap. And I, 
I actually thanked the people. I said, thank you so much for, you know, sharing whatever sentiment you had, whether you call it good or bad or, or light or dark. To me, this will be the most transformative life event to date. And clearly what has happened is this has triggered people deeply on either side, no matter which side you, you, you see this from, what vantage point you take. And so I'm grateful for the fact that this has triggered something that's really deep because, by the way, I'm not unique or special. And whatever any, anybody who's going through the Me Too movement in this period of time, which is very emotionally charged, has actually been through the, light, the traumatizing life experience that has created these dialogues, which I have not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm standing here with my words very easily able to sit here and hit delete on a post. And it's not taken lightly for me. I don't take it for granted for the fact that people can't hit delete on the experience which traumatized them, man or woman. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a very difficult part of removing that post. There was a lot of, to me, it felt like a lot of responsibility. And I, I don't know if I'd use the word shame or guilt, but you can probably understand what I mean in that removing that felt like I was standing with people who had been through a particular experience and I didn't want to stop standing with them. Right. Like almost, uh, yeah, I can, I can resonate with that. Yeah. I, I don't know. The, the first word that came to my mind was betrayal. That might be a bit strong, but feeling like you, uh, you failed. Or, let, or you don't want to let, you don't want to let, like, I don't know if it's like letting somebody down or like, it's just this, this awareness that these people can't take away their experience. And these words were medicine for their particular experience. And so these, this right. stand amidst the storm because they're standing amidst the storm. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't the reality of what took place. You know, that something different transpired for me, but it was not lost on me. And so this is what we're doing, I think, to a larger extent. That post was about what it was about, but we're in the world bringing forward our truth, encouraged by the fact that whatever is being triggered is actually arising to the surface to be healed. And this particular conversation, mm-hmm. as everybody saw us, is seen and continues to see, holds so much deep trauma and shame that there is a lot to be brought up to the surface to be seen for all of us. And so it's a, it's, it's a transformative healing process and it's not an easy one, no matter where you're at in it. Yeah, man. And whew, what a, what a once in a lifetime journey to go on, you know, to, to experience what you experience. It's such a unique part of your story. I've got a lot of questions. The, the first is I, I just tried to put myself in your shoes because it's really only been a few years now that I've been sharing a lot of my own beliefs very publicly. In fact, it's still a process of getting more and more familiar and comfortable and confident with that. It's like every, every time I share something, I try to go another level deeper because I know that there's still, there's still things that I don't even feel comfortable sharing publicly because I, I don't know who's listening out there. That's, that's the reality of it is you don't know who's watching. You don't know who's listening. It's not the same as having a conversation face-to-face with people. Yeah. So that's one thing. But I put myself in your shoes and I imagine just you know, putting something out there that was really from my heart, really genuine, authentic, and in service to people that I saw as going through something really difficult and wanting to, wanting to help. Mm. And then receiving that kind of backlash, I imagine that just, just the questions that would come up about uh, around my, my voice, my message, my confidence, J- just kind of kind of like taking one on the chin from the heavyweight champ and staggering a little bit. So <laughs> what was that experience like for you? I know, I know you already kind of walked us through your response, but what, what happened for you in the days, weeks, and months following that? Yeah, brother. Well, what, what comes to mind, and I'll share what happened, like my, my process transitioning through and beyond that, but what I'll say is it really brought up for me like the persecution of the lightworker. Mm. You know, and for people who maybe don't use that language, we might have this image of the witches being burned on the stake or, or whatever it looks like for people, right? If you want to go into like past lives or depending on how deep you dive into this, there's a certain sentiment which people feel has happened historically where people who have really stepped in to shine a light on the darkness have been persecuted and in very literal sense killed you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in these times. And so some people believe that as light workers in this day and age, one of the greatest obstacles to overcome is that fear of persecution, because, and which includes mm-hmm. and, and eludes to the full expression of your voice and your gifts. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's not really a fear of being good enough for most people. It's actually just a fear of full, authentic, radical expression, because 
what will happen if I fully express myself in that way? How will it be received? And in this case, a very visceral reaction comes back of you will be persecuted. So my experience was not exactly that at first, because I had a lot to heal from on a personal level. I couldn't even deal to be completely transparent. I didn't even feel like I could deal with that thing for probably like six months. Mm-hmm. I was so deeply wounded from what, and I don't even like to use the word wounded, but I was so deeply shaken by what had transpired in my personal life. I really felt that the priority was to allow myself to feel and to, to as my shaman said, don't rush the death process. It was really the process of con- continuing to surrender and allow all these pieces of my life to die, right? I, most more so beyond even with the relationship and the, and the baby, it was like I had put all my energy and life force into building this nonprofit, which exactly as that post comes out, gets closed down and I can't say anything about it. So mm. that, that was incredibly difficult to, to, sure. to move through for me because my entire purpose as a man specifically was being taken away. That's what it felt like. And so if, what it looked like for me over the, the months to come, the weeks and months to come was a lot of ceremony. I was sitting in a lot of ceremony working with plant medicine and sitting with a lot of ayahuasca and doing as deep of work with my coach at the time as I had done. And all of this is parallel and simultaneous. So what it invites in, and some people will call this time of your life when you're 20, 29 years old, your Saturn return, the dark night of your soul, right? And and mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time, right? I just thought, wow, this is unbelievable that this is all happening at one time. Like, right. but, it, but part of me at a deep level knew, yeah, spirit would only have it this way. If the transformation and evolution is meant to be this big, all of these things had to unravel at the same time. Something, mm-hmm. something is expanding within me and it will requ- my, my attachment to it is so deep that it's going to require force. And the force was the trauma associated with how everything happened. And that was the way that it happened beautifully and actually on my behalf. So it was a lot of ceremony. It was a lot of deep transformational work. It was a lot of really God-given support from, from friends and brothers and, and mentors and allies, I feel. And I, at some level, it was a lot of me just choosing to step into it rather than observing it. And so down into the, the darkness I went mm-hmm. and most transformative and deeply powerful period of my life by far the shifts and the changes and and i would say the resiliency that was created because every time i looked in what i realized coming out and recognized was how strong i was because i was coming out sure and that's the same advice yeah. to everybody who's going through something really challenging and difficult that feels like the dark night of their soul it's like look at the reflection of the shadow not just the reflection of the light that you're constantly being given as a feedback loop to that really gives you all of your life force energy Get, look at the reflection of the shadow you look into the reflection of the shadow, you'll see yourself. You might feel like you're disfigured and, and bruised and beaten up and, and broken down at that time. You might not like the way you look in that shadow, but the truth is you're still standing there looking at the shadow. You can see yourself. And if you can see yourself, then you're way stronger than you ever imagined before you stepped into it. And to me, that's resilience. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what resilience was before that because I hadn't been tested in that way. Mm-hmm. And so in some way, our soul, we've soul contracted these tests but at a human level, we say, no, please, like spirit, don't give me eight things at once because it feels tumultuous. But the truth is the transformation almost always for all of us happens in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And on, on, a, very, on a very practical level, the ability to problem solve and to, to rise above in seemingly insurmountable circumstances comes from being overwhelmed, comes from having so many things handed to us at once that we can't possibly logic our way out of it but to surrender and find a way totally and it's like sink or swim it's throwing the throwing the kid into the deep end and seeing if they can if they can you know tread water and we don't we don't willingly choose that on a, on a conscious level we don't we don't invite challenge or tumult into our lives from our human side like i like like you said and whether we're using the words energetically spiritually soul contract whatever it is we, we have to go through that we have to experience that level of challenge, that level of overwhelm to know that we can rise above it. And that's what unleashes that, that purpose, that power, that mission that only we can have as individuals. Totally. And that we can, and, and, 
not live in this planet. You end up finding out almost every time anybody who's gone through these processes and write written books and in service and impact, the very thing which they're serving and impacting people from is the experience they had in those dark nights of the soul. And so like, mm-hmm. it's a God-given gift because otherwise, what would your service and impact truly be? Mm-hmm. It has to be that yeah. way. It actually can only ever be that way. And I, I, what was really anchoring for me and even what I think about now too, and I don't like you know, let's be completely honest here. We live in the Western world with a lot of privilege. And if you think about the work that you do and taking men through rites of passage, and then you go back to the sentiment you just expressed about sometimes we're just not, it's, things are too comfortable and easy and convenient. Well, now go deeper into what a lot of people that are not in this first world, Western world, whatever you want to call it, this is their daily struggle. This is the, literally the existence, which it looks like for them to put food on the table for their family. This is what it looks like. Mm. What does it look like growing up in a war-torn country? So mm. for them, they're, they're not knowing anything but that, but their consciousness is aware of the fact that that's not the way, that's not their birthright. That's not the way that it should be. And their struggle is constantly reflecting their resiliency and their strength, which is unbelievably strong. So for mm-hmm. us, it's easy to look at this in this way. And I'm not downplaying the experience or anybody else's, but what's interesting to me, and it's very anchoring to know that this is something we also all share as human beings. So right. people will quantify their struggle or downplay or minimize their trauma because they grew up in this way or that way, but its effect on the nervous system is very similar. And its effect on the nervous system dictates the reality we've created for ourselves and the stories that we believe. And so we're connected in this way through the beauty of the darkness, I believe. And it's, it's actually one of the few things which gives a lot, it provides a lot of hope a lot, and a lot of strength and allows us to share with one another the stories of our resilience and to look at somebody and say, oh, but their life is so different. They've gone, lived and grown up and been raised in this place. Well, of course, if you're looking at them, it's actually they're reflecting back your own resiliency, but you haven't seen it in that way yet. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, that really illuminates something powerful for me, bro, in what you're saying, because the comparison game can really can really mess us up. And there's something I believe in called the pain of privilege. The pain of being privileged and the result of, of privilege is that we never really find out what we're made of. When we're living lives of privilege, of comfort, of convenience, we don't really know what we're capable of as humans. And yes, my experience is not living in a war-torn country. I don't often experience, unless I willingly choose to fast, the experience of hunger, of thirst, of lack. And yet there is an element of not knowing what I'm truly capable of if I don't experience those things. And so it's, like I, like I said, you know, the, the, the comparison doesn't do anyone any good because there's, there's pain and there's challenge and struggle all over the world. I think it's just for those of us who are in this conversation, coming from a first world background, we don't appreciate the challenges that we do have in our lives as something that is that is for us, that is happening for our highest ability to be of service in this world. That's really what it comes down to, in my opinion. Absolutely agree. And on top of that, I would just add that in this line of work and living this experience as a human being, you hear a lot of, st- I hear a lot of stories of where people will say, yeah, but I grew up in this way, very privileged. You know, they even start in ceremony. You go through a sharing circle and say, I just don't want to say too much here because I'm very privileged and I grew up this way. And so I know my trauma won't be as deep as somebody else's here. And so like immediately you're qualifying and quantifying to some extent that your, your, your shit doesn't matter as much as somebody else's. Right. Because you're privileged and you grew up in this way. But my point is that, yes, there's the pain of privilege. And on the, maybe the inverse is that there's pain. And it doesn't, comparison actually only perpetuates shame and guilt around mm-hmm. the pain, which is there for you to transform into light and into strength. And so the best thing you can do is actually respect the fact that that was traumatic for you or that that was painful for you, even if it was like, Somebody else went through abuse and you only, you only, see even the language we use, very unca- unconsciously, mm-hmm. we only went through being bullied on the playground. Well, mm-hmm. traumas have their own impacts and, create, and, mm-hmm. and people create their own belief systems from that. However, the imprint that that left on your nervous system and the life which you have lived as a result could very likely be similar to the person who lived a very different experience, irregardless of what the experience in was. So don't minimize or downplay the story because then you're actually giving your power away to 
an experience that you're get you're trying to you're trying to qualify what the experience was for you. And I find right. that that actually becomes a bigger barrier for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, like, and, and people just- and people who are also fighting for their story too. Totally. Like people who are fighting for their lack of privilege or you don't know my story. My, I had, su- I had a, such a hard upbringing. It's like, why are you fighting for your pain mm-hmm. in that moment? And what is, and, and I, you know, if we, if we dissected it far enough, we would see that people just want to be seen, validated, heard, listened to, loved on for the love that they're not feeling in themselves. But totally. it's, it's really tricky. You know, on both sides of it, fighting for it and, and, and not believing that our traumas are worthy either. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to some extent, like what I said earlier, if that's also a human truth at its core, that one of the things which connects us is our suffering as human beings. And so mm. if you're sitting in a circle and, you hear, and you're witness and receptive to all this really deep suffering and you say, oh, fuck, what am I going to share? Like, I don't have anything that's that deep. You're fighting mm. to come up with something which will allow you to feel similar and connected to the people in that group. And so you're, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, brother. It's like, it can play out in, in a few different ways, but yeah, getting to the core of it is, is, is of the utmost importance really. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly not to invalidate. I mean, every, everyone has the right to their own trauma. You know, when, when you were taught, when we got into this conversation of competing traumas and, and privilege versus non-privilege, et cetera, I, I thought of a trauma, I call, I'll call it a trauma now from my childhood I remember when I was a kid, I used to love singing in the shower. And so I imagine I'm probably around 11 or 12 years old. Um, so my voice is starting to change and I was singing in the shower. You know, I was, I was always like rip roaring. It was like, I, I love to do that. And I remember one day I came out of the shower and my mom was like, what was that noise? Like very playfully kind of joking at me being way out of tune. And from that moment, I was like, I suck at singing and I'll, I'll never sing again. And I never sang again until I went on my own journey about a decade later of rediscovering my voice and my, and my love for creating music and creating poetry and expressing myself that way. And now I sing all the time in ceremony, but I'll never forget that. It had such an impression on me. I even told my mom years later when I released an EP that I, that I had recorded, I said, you know what? This actually happened to me. She felt so bad because it wasn't her intention at all. Yeah. And looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that that was such a small thing. It was like, you know, one phrase, one thing she said to me back when I was 12, but it had an impact. And that's the, that's the key is we, we can't measure these things. It's not it's not quantifiable, but the quality of, of it of of it and what it, the the impact that it has on us is is real, regardless of how we want to compare it to other levels of trauma. Totally. We're so impressionable, especially from the ones we love. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that, that's, some, that's some of the biggest traumas that we get, especially from the people, you know, especially my mom, right? Like one of two people whose approval meant the most to me at that time in my life. Yeah, that's, yeah. To, to me, that's, I mean, that's a whole other conversation probably, but I think like in your, like what has been very revealing to me when coming back to the first question, the difference between a boy and the man has been the relationship to the mother. And I know you do a lot of work specifically with this when you look at the archetypes and and kind of dive into these these books and these writings on the development male development through being either nurtured or whatever it is by their mothers in that same conversation it's so interesting like the impact that these interactions can have mm-hmm. very deep to the extent where there's a lot where I, I i have to be in ceremony with some of these medicines to be able to travel to those places because it's not in my conscious memory field yeah and my mind yeah, won't, doesn't want to say, or in breath work, I've had stuff come up in breath work and I finish after a huge release of this thing. I said, wow, that, that was like, that mattered to me, that little thing, like that conversation or that time that thing was taken away or whatever it was like, that was traumatic for me during that period of my life for whatever reason. And it's been imprinted in this part of my body that was never accessed until now, 20 years later. Right. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible what the body stores like in the fascia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the meaning that we give to things is even just going back to that example of what my mom said to me, you know, her intention misaligning with my with the way I received it and, and the impact that that had. And, and there, you know, there's, there's so many things that can happen unintentionally that, that affect us. But I think it's important to shift out of this victim mindset of things happening to us. Because it's very easy, especially when we, when we talk about trauma, yeah. The word victim is very closely linked to that. And it's important not to get stuck in that mindset because we know that there's no growth in the victim story. 
the victim's story is, is a dead end and it goes straight to the bottom. And, you know, so I, I often, you know, like, like we alluded to before, speaking about how these things happen to, uh, not to us, but for us, mm-hmm. how this, this unexpected viral post that you put up that had all of this unintended backlash happened for your greatest evolution mm-hmm. for the most benevolent outcome. And that's a big shift too, that we all get to make in our own way. Yeah, absolutely, brother. You know, it, you can really see how it plays out. And like, for me, I look a lot at like the shadows and the frequencies. And so you can feel the collective frequency of blame that's happening from the victim. Like us, as, even if you wanted to speak collectively, as a victim, we're, we're, we're really quick to blame one another or be on the receiving end of blame, which is also not easy. It requires a lot of reflection and responsibility. And then being able to be so anchored and, and say, no, like this, obviously I'm creating my life. So what am I creating if this was just another step? Maybe the biggest step in my case, it was 12 steps, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what am I creating from this? Why did this happen? And to me, that's the type of stuff that whatever your ceremony looks like, whoever you are, you really get to bring that in and ask those questions of like, okay, spirit, what was the greater plan at play here? Like this is what people always ask, what is my purpose? It's like, they want to find it. It's like, actually how you respond to some of the most difficult and challenging pieces of your life is your purpose. What you Mm -hmm. do with the progress or the evolution or the awakening out of the darkness is the reason you were put on this earth and incarnated during this time. And the longer you do nothing with it, the longer you're going to feel like you're still asleep, so to speak. The longer you're going to feel like you're sleeping on your purpose because you are. You're, you're waking up to the reason why all of these events and experiences took place for you in your life. And you've actually been waiting for these things to happen for you. Mm-hmm. You've been anticipating it. Your soul has been anticipating this period of your life so that it can catapult forward. And so you owe it to yourself in the world to keep expressing and keep sharing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say that, that 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 resistance to stepping into the dragon's lair and facing off with these challenges that come up to us is is all about ego. It's totally. all about that part of us that wants to preserve the self, that wants to keep us safe and comfortable, that doesn't want to face off with what our soul is really here to do. Yeah. And so that that really becomes the journey is being able, being able to override that programming that thinks that we're going to die. We're literally going to die if we stand on that stage and sing at the top of our lungs, or if we put out that post that is that, that's really triggering for people, or, or whatever it is. Ask out that that person that we're really attracted to on a date. Mm-hmm. It literally feels like we're going to die, <laughs> and, and so it becomes. In your definition of purpose, I'd extrapolate that it also becomes this journey of overriding the ego over and over and over again, so that we can unfold into who we're meant to be. Totally, brother. It's like, that's the deep work I feel is remembering that that is not the, the sequencing and the frequency and the codes that we were born with. Mm-hmm. We, weren't, we weren't born with that. That's what I believe, at least. My opinion is we were not, yeah. our, our, what we were born with was only light and love. Like we were born from love and of love and not of fear. Fear has like been conditioned and collectively brewed. Maybe if you believe like, you know, in the gene keys, so to speak, what you were born through and into was a collective frequency of fear or an aura mm. of, of fear-based frequencies. And so part of your purpose is moving through and transmuting and transforming that. But you're remembering mm. in these ceremonies and in your life that the only thing you need to do really is just remember that, oh, I don't even need to like transform this fear. I just need to remember what it felt like in my body before I was ever afraid. Right. And do the thing which little kids are like, I'm sure your son is showing you all the time, which is just like doing the crazy shit, which is fearless. Because he's not having mm-hmm. the second thought, which is I shouldn't do this because I'm afraid of what it's gonna, how it's going to be received. Yeah. And so like all we're doing in my experience with this post was I was, I, my mind could spend a decade saying, you see, this validated my truth, which is that every time I express myself, look how it's received and I'm assaulted because of, yeah, well, yeah, but that's not true because the true part of me remembers that before when I was a little kid, just like your son, I was speaking anything as love and it was received as love and then it rose everything up to a higher frequency mm-hmm. until it met a different experience that created a different story right yeah i right. love I, we... I, i'm tuning in right now too i don't know if you've read paul selig uh, but he does some incredible channeling and he's got a new book called the book of freedom and something he says uh is and he's speaking through these guides and he says you know we we recognize and we believe that freedom 
is when you stop pretending that you weren't always free. Hmm. And so I believe that to some extent, that's another way of saying we're really just in the process. If we're coming into our freedom and our radical expression and our truth, we're just remembering that we were always free. We were, we were always like hmm. that little kid. We were always like full-bodied expression, like voice at the top of the lungs, yelling from the bottom of our bellies, banging our hands and our fists on our chests, building fires like this type of way and in the work you're doing. This is the stuff that I remember that my, my parents and my ancestors were, were sitting in circle doing these same things. And so how do I return back to that form? Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is probably a whole nother conversation, but the, even just the conversation about fear is a really interesting one because I do believe that I don't believe that there's truly a fearless state. I think it's our response to fear or our reaction to fear mm. that dictates where we go with that. You know, because we we accumulate these fear stories, and I think that when fear arises, and we're able to catch ourselves and to respond and to choose that response, there's a different outcome than when we get spooked by something, we get afraid, and we just react out of that fear of our fear of survival, um, and that creates an imprint. It's like it creates a a memory mark in our, like you said, like cellularly in our, in our body somewhere that when this, when A happens, we must do B so that we can survive. Mm -hmm. And, and those are like the, the accumulations of fears and reactions that we get to unwind in this returning back to that childlike state of not letting fear hold us back. Yeah. I'm not, I'd have to really contemplate that one, brother. I don't know. I, I, part of me <laughs> wants to believe there's the fearless state and but maybe we're speaking it. We're speaking the, the the same thing with different language. And so, my yeah. I don't know. I would love to know your experience too, and at least seeing and witnessing what happens in ceremony, and and specifically working with these plant medicines, is that fear that I didn't even know was sitting in my body is purged out of my body and cleared from my field. And so, what I'm able to see is, wow, I wasn't even aware of the fact that I was holding this. And so, then the next realization is that, wow, this is what we do as humans. We like store fear in our body because we think we've been programmed to believe it's supposed to just be held there. But what kids do is they just instantly somatically release it and then they don't hold it. Right. And so right. to me, to, maybe we're saying the same thing, but to some extent I witness that and I say, okay, how do I keep my, maintain the practice of being in that childlike state? Not just the innocence, but like you were saying, the reaction to, okay, something comes through and I'm afraid of it and I express it rather than I store it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so... Yeah, and and just like just like Peter Levine's work too in 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 trauma work is it can either be released or stored. There's yeah. only two options. Yeah. So uh yeah, cool man. It sounds like we're speaking the same language and totally. definitely something I'd love to dive deeper in in with you someday, man. This has been an awesome conversation. Yeah. First time I've really gotten to to rattle off with at length and uh this is cool, man. This is definitely the kind of dialogue I, I'm interested in. I think is going to continue to be really valuable for for the rising man audience and for everyone out there who wants to be in these deeper questions. Before we before we come to a close, I've got a few lightning round style questions I want to ask you. Let's Are you game it. for that? Let's do it. Game <laughs> on. All right, cool. All right. So, uh, what is one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were eighteen? <laughs> oh, I love these questions, man. These are these are always like challenge the logical response for me. <laughs> what is one thing I wish I that I've learned in my life that I wish I knew back when I was eighteen mm -hmm. that I don't need to do anything. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. I love that one. I mean, no explanation. Let's simple. leave it at that. <laughs> Good. I like it. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Compassion. Compassion. Beautiful, brother. And how can people out there follow you, learn more about what you're doing, get to work with you? Where do you want to send them? Yeah, man. Super simple. Uh, AdamRubin.com, R-U-B-I-N. That's the website if people want to check it out. And same name on, on Facebook and Instagram. And yeah, brother. Awesome, man. Well, we'll make sure we put the links up in the show notes so people can come find you. Like I said, man, awesome having this conversation with you and that deep dive. I really appreciate you sharing vulnerably about your your process. And I'm really inspired by the fact that you you never lost track of your message and your voice amidst that. Because I know I can imagine for me just being in your shoes and just kind of having the questions arise. And clearly it's it's set you off on an even higher and greater path than, than than from where you were back when that occurred. Totally, brother. It's it it's it's always just the tip of the iceberg for us. And I feel that that was just the beginning of actually discovering what the truth of my voice was. And and so it allows us to all kind of reflect and, and see if there is actually nothing to be afraid of, just like you said. 
then on the other side of that, we find courage and resilience and strength. And with the courage and strength and resilience that we're able to see in ourselves, it's like, all right, there's actually something to discover here. Mm -hmm. What other ways does my voice want to express itself that can shine light in different ways in the world? And so that's been a really beautiful journey of starting to play music and express myself in different ways. Yes. Awesome, brother. Well, look forward to catching up with you further down the road, man. Blessings on your journey. And uh, thank you again for your wisdom and what you're doing in the world. Bless you, bro. Really honoring you for keeping this labor of love and this this channel, I would say, open for not just the brothers, but the sisters to to tune into. And uh, I was listening to your podcast with our, our brother, Sean Graves, and I really love what you left it with, which was, we're doing this really for the next generation and the children, you know? So I feel that your own expression and allowing people to receive your voice through this podcast and this contribution, this gift to the world has so much more to do with how we're, what world we're willing to create for the children that are coming through, you know, uh, you know, really clearing and creating space. Like we said at the beginning, you're creating a safe space, not just for men, but as a result for women and as a result of men and women for the children. And so, yeah, brother, that's a big part of my dharma and my purpose. And I, I really, really honor that, respect it. Mm. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that acknowledgement. And and I'll say it, it is an honor. It is an honor to do that and to always be thinking about those future generations with every step and every breath we take. So yeah, thank you, bro. Till next time, man. <laughs> be hope, well. Brother. Yeah. One of the things that I admire most about Adam was his resilience in the face of all of the things that were going on for him with his relationship, with the miscarriage, and then the viral post and all of this full spectrum of feedback on his words and what he said, including the death threats and the mail that, oh man, I just really admire how he was able to stand and be with all of that really be with all of that and it was a, I think it was a great lesson for us because even if it's not a viral post we all have something we all have something that is wanting to chop us down to keep us from our greatness to keep us from our purpose and our mission in this life and in this world and if we can rise above that if we can lean on the support of our community if we can direct our attention to what we're up to our truth and what matters most to us then none of that no matter how many no matter how big can keep us from doing what we came to do so if you take nothing else from this interview take that with you put that in your pocket save it because you're going to need it someday i'm going to need it someday we all need that reminder to keep going don't give up on the mission all right for those of you who have heard me talk about elements and are interested in getting signed up for the next elements men's initiation weekend we're nailing down a date in august it's going to happen middle to end of august i will have it for you guys within the next couple of weeks in the meantime, we already have a waiting list, so make sure you head over to reserve your spot at rise.jediazuma.com slash elements. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the last one we're going to do here in Southern California for 2019. So make sure you get yourself signed up. Make sure you get yourself all locked in and ready to go because it's going to be killer. I promise you guys that. As always, check out the link for show notes and resources at therisingmanpodcast.com. Everything we talked about in this episode and every episode, you can find right there. Special thanks to my man, Julian Subic, who is crushing the show notes behind the scenes. I love you, brother. Make sure you guys subscribe and follow the podcast on the app of your choice. Please leave a review, comments, feedback, lots of stars, all your biggest takeaways, because we'd love to hear it wherever you're listening to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, Spotify, any of those podcast apps, please subscribe. It helps other men find us. It helps raise our ratings and boost us to the top of the charge, which is where we want to be, where we need to be keep the rising man moving so please do that you can always listen to us at the risingmanpodcast.com and leave your comments and feedback there as well also if you're not already following us on instagram hit us up at rising man podcast my man rowan tyne at rowan t-y-n-e on instagram is crushing the social media for us right now thank you rowan please 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 follow us share it up let other people know what we're doing here because yes we are growing yes this movement is moving and we need the support of the whole rising man fam so please jump on over to instagram hit us with a follow hit us with some likes show us some love all right a couple more shout outs here my man sean offenbach over at infinite melodics at infinite melodics m-e-l-o-d-i-x my man who is taking care of all of the audio all of the episodes every single one that we've done since day one 
Sean has been my man. So any of you guys out there who could use audio engineering services, podcasts, music, anything that you guys are doing, he is your man. He is also the creator of the Rising Man intro song, both versions of it. So there you go. Very special guy there. And a special shout out to Mark Rose, who has been working on some behind the scenes projects that I can't tell you about just yet, but are going to be amazing when they come out. Thank you, brother, for everything you do. My family, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.